This is Colossus, and you are listening to The High Regard Show. The High Regard Show. It's... Excellent! Check out The High Regard Show. New episodes every Monday. Hey everybody, I'm Tom. And I'm Nikki. And this is the High Regard Show. In which we talk about things we hold in high regard. Very high. High above Harlem. Way up on the third floor. Moving on up. Oh, it don't get better than that. No, sir, it doesn't. It's I've the... lost all track all, all track of time right now. Well, you don't know, because you started a job that you can actually announce like I here did. on the show for a change. I did start a job, Tom. After being so covert for <laughs> the last year. <laughs> and what yes. the hell it is you do to get money. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of this, a little bit of that. <laughs> so tell us about the new gig. Well, I'm working for Metro, which is the largest free daily paper in the country. Well, look at that. Yes, it's really cool being back in print again. Like, I, I loved print. I love the smell of print. I love walking into the office and kind of, like, smelling the print, you know, paper that's, like, sitting in the morgue, as we newspaper types call it. And how does it work out? Day three, you're on page four, and today on day five, there you are. With a reefer. <laughs> With some reefer on the front cover. <laughs> With some reefer. <laughs> <laughs> a little front cover mention yeah, for you. So. Yeah, it's really cool. Like, it's really, it feels really good to be writing, you know, longer form. And, you know, it, it's cool. Like, it's a really cool company. Well, I'm glad. That's awesome for you. It's about time you got to work for a really cool company. <laughs> <laughs> yes, after going through the ringer of life the past three years since moving here. <laughs> not bad, not bad. And I found out today... My company got a game room. That sounds really cool because you. it sounded like there may be a ski ball. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe pool. Maybe uh, maybe um, ping pong. Maybe. Um, ping pong makes me too nervous. Well, I mean, there's like a series of games from what I understand. I guess we're going to go check it out like when I get back and... A couple of weeks, and uh, we'll see what happens. All right. I'm sure you'll be very competitive. and Well, you could bet your ass I'm going to be very competitive. <laughs> Not going to go in there all streamline and stuff and get ready to <laughs> like, really take on the world. Well, there you go. Balls of fury all over the place. Well, in you your face. <laughs> so this week we have a pretty long interview coming up. I'm going to warn you right now. It's yes, pretty long. So- with that lead-in, can you imagine listeners who might have done this week's interview? <laughs> True. I had a little bit to do with this week's interview, a for sure. long-winded Tom was uh, the interview. You heard the interview. It didn't suck. It did not suck. No. All right. So. No, it's, it's, it's a pretty... This is a pretty, pretty good. Big, pre, pretty, pretty good. It's, it's pretty good. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. Why don't we get into you heard? Okay. Get into the uh, interview intro and uh, get the party started. Okay. Stop talking.
This week's You Heard comes to us from Radio City. And we were actually, you actually got this, you heard, because it was the man sitting next to you when we went to CELO last month. Oh, my God, that douche. <laughs> that guy was such a dick. Oh, my God. And I had this, like, horrible, like, old man who kept just being very annoying. But anyway, the gentleman sitting next to you said, and I quote, Jeff Lynn produced the Beatles in the 90s. He had musical relations with them. Now, let me just say one thing about this, because it it, it bothers me to no end. <laughs> the Beatles in the 90s. Okay. Um, you know how we say often, we're not experts? <laughs> this guy was totally claiming to be an expert. <laughs> this guy was talking to the point where shit was falling out of his mouth. <laughs> Like, just niblets of it. This is so angering to me that somebody would even say something like that. Not to mention, this guy was a pig of a human hanging Stop over. Stop it. Listen to me. Hanging over two seats. You know I have had the weight issues. I did not hang over my seat into other people's seats because I just wanted to be comfortable. I would like hate going to shows and plays and anything else because i would sit in my seat with my hands in my lap sucking in like exactly. wind not yes. to like bother okay, everybody okay. else this guy was a pig okay. of a human okay that's fine and that's just this what was, you heard yeah this was my segment my one <laughs> fucking segment that i get that's all mine thank you for you know mario lopezing it is that this week you heard it is you could have just let it go, but God forbid you let somebody else get the last fucking word. So this week's interview, <laughs> let me tell you, man, when Nikki got the interview, she was like, I got this interview. And I'm so excited about it. <laughs> and then... And you were so jealous and mad. I really was jealous and mad. Especially knowing that I was going to be home for recovery and stuff like that. I'm like, I'm going to be here. This sucks. Why can't I be a part of the interview? But then I was like, maybe I could try to like set up a second mic Egan, and do it. Mario Lopez all over it. Yeah. Well, for this particular interview, yeah, you bet your ass. Because I'm the true fan. You are the true fan. Because we have a totally different experience with this band. We obviously we have do. a totally different, like we totally different experience, and that's do. cool. All right, so basically, Nikki gets the job. Now she can't do the interview. I step up to the plate, swing for the fences, and then what you get <laughs> is go full retard. <laughs> never. And what you get in return is an awesome interview. It really was with Pat Badger from Extreme. And he's the bassist for Extreme. He certainly is the bassist for Extreme. Okay. <laughs> like, I wasn't disagreeing with the fact that Pat Badger is the bassist for Extreme. It's like, don't you argue with me about that. That's goddamn right he's the bassist for Extreme. Yes, and the reason that we spoke with Pat Badger is because Extreme's porno graffiti 
turned 25, which is just mind-blowing that I'm old enough to remember when this goddamn album came out. So Pornography was, um, it, it's Pornography Live 25, and it's part of the Metal Map, Metal Meltdown DVD Blu-ray CD, which was released on Friday, October 14th, by the award-winning production company Rock Fuel Media, in association with Loud and Proud Records. They should be very loud and proud. It was an awesome, awesome documentary, because yours truly got to see it in preparation for the interview. Yes, look at you getting in early. Sneak peek. You did get a sneak peek. (laughs) Why don't we get into the interview now? Because that's really the meat and potatoes of this whole story. Well, then roll that fabulous bean footage. All right. Hi, Pat. Yes, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for calling today. Yeah, no problem. I'm glad, uh, happy to talk to you. Oh my God, I'm the happy one. <laughs> <laughs> so, Porno Graffiti is 25 years old. How does it feel knowing that people are still celebrating the album? You know, it is actually, uh, someone was asking me this the other day. Um, you know, in some ways, 25 years, uh, seems like an eternity ago. And then in other ways, I can't believe that it's, it's passed like this. And we can even say that we're celebrating an anniversary that long ago. But um, it's awesome to know, you know, it's been great to do uh, the tour and obviously the DVD um, and to really have our fans respond to it. And um, we seem to be picking up new fans along the way. So it's, uh, it's been awesome all around, you know, to really be able to celebrate that album. Oh, I can't imagine you guys aren't picking up fans along the way. That album totally stood the test of time compared to others released around the same era. Well, thanks for saying so. You know, we definitely feel uh, we're proud of the album 25 years later. <laughs> As you should be. So what does the who does the call come from saying Extreme is going to do a porno graffiti tour? And what does that call sound like to you guys? Well, you know, it's something that we've all... Uh, you know, we've talked about because other bands have kind of done this, uh, you know, that kind of thing where they've celebrated an album or played something from front to back. And I think uh, it happened with a conversation with our manager, Rob, saying, you know, you guys should really think about going out and doing something special for, for the fans like this. And uh, when we talked about it, um, we only had a couple of hesitations about it. But then once we get the ball rolling, it uh, it was just so much fun. You know, we we were playing songs that uh, we have not played in, you know, I don't even think we played them back in the day when we, when the album came out, you know, there's a few that uh, were basically just recorded in the studio and we never played live. So it was fun to, to basically relearn those songs and to play them live. Um, and then the only other odd thing was the, the order of the songs in the album. Cause it's like, um, you know, to have uh Get the Funk out fourth, and then More Than Words fifth, I think. The lineup was uh, it was a bit strange to, to play those songs that early in the set. I'll bet. Was it, was it a difficult process to, like, relearn everything, or did it come rather smoothly to you guys? <clears throat> well, there's really um, a couple of songs, you know, um, that we had never played. So 
um, or haven't played in a very, very long time. So, uh, you know, it's funny when something's that old, um, you know, it, it's almost like you, uh, you're, you're, it's almost like you're relearning somebody else's part, you know? It's almost like you, you can't even remember writing it, recording it, um, you know, and some of the other songs that we had played, it's like your muscle memory takes over, and somewhere in the back of your mind, it's, it's funny when as you start playing, you're like, your hand just magically goes towards, you know, the right notes or the right chords. And then other ones, like I said, it was like relearning somebody else's part. <laughs> So it was kind of, it was, it was quite a quite a trip to, to learn some of us. It's so awesome to think that your your muscle memory can pick up on something that happened so long ago. But that that's amazing. Yeah, it really is. It's almost like uh, these things are kind of tucked away somewhere in the far corner of your brain, and uh, <laughs> it uh, it just kind of comes out or happens, you know, naturally. Is it weird getting back with the people who you had spent so much time with over the years? And how does the issues that separated you guys work themselves out to where you can become functional again? You mean as far as the band getting back? Yeah, because, I mean, you guys have been kind of separated for, you know, quite some time. Well, we, we did up until about 2005. Um, you know, there was like a 10-year gap there where, uh, you know, we, everyone was kind of off doing their own thing. But then, like, uh, in 2005, we did a couple of reunion shows, and then it turned into making an album, uh, Sardage de Rock, in, uh, I think that came out in 2007 or 2008. And then, you know, we've been kind of touring on and off since then. So um, a lot of the getting reacquainted stuff happened, uh, again, you know, mid-2000s. But... Even, um, you know, we had all seen each other and kind of kept tabs on each other throughout the, the years that we weren't uh, playing and recording together. That's awesome. Um, I had the privilege of seeing Porno Graffiti live from the Hard Rock as part of the prep for this interview, and it was done really well. And I, I know it's coming out next week, which is, you know, what we're pushing for this show on. Um what was it like getting endorsements from some huge names in the rock industry, such as Brian May and Tom Morello? Well, you know, um, I guess the endorsement thing, um, you know, it's, it's amazing when we watch it back. And, you know, especially in the case, uh, no disrespect to anybody else who was interviewed, but when Brian May um, spoke of us that way, um, you know, he was a big hero of ours growing up. You know, we were huge Queen fans, and then obviously being part of that whole Freddie Mercury tribute. So to, so to have um, really a rock and roll legend like him um, raving about the band and dissecting Nuno solos and stuff, I mean, all that stuff is very mind-blowing for us. Um, you know, we've uh, we've gotten to be friends with them, but it's still it's hard. You kind of pinch yourself and go, is that really, you know, one of our idols, you know, talking about our band that way? It's just, uh, it really is kind of surreal. And, I mean, he had some incredible stuff to say to you guys and comparing you guys to Jimi Hendrix, which I'm totally down for, man. I think that there is so much talent in the band Extreme that people just don't realize till they get to, like, deeper cuts as the album goes on. Well, I appreciate you saying so. You know, anytime people uh, have, uh, you know, thrown our, our names in and start comparing us to the greats, you know, we feel like, oh, hold on now. You got to, like, take it easy there. We, you know, we, we don't 
put ourselves in that, you know, in that category. But I guess when you have someone like Brian who's uh, raving about us, you know, it's like when E.F. Putton talks, I guess people listen. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt, man. That guy has some credibility. Um, how does life change from one day being in a band, grinding it out, to hitting the Billboard Top 10? Was there an immediate feeling of success? <clears throat> you know, we had um, released our first album in 89. Then uh, Porn Graffiti, I believe, came out in 1990. Um, and, you know, yeah, we were kind of grinding it out. We started in the van, you know, in a van tour and worked our way to a shitty tour bus. And, you know, we were doing a lot of international touring um, with, you know, support from the record company. Then uh, we were kind of, um, you know, on the cusp. On We didn't really have, like, a big rock hit, you know. And so, yeah, when More Than Words came out, it um, it wasn't, like, overnight, but... You know, in a very short time, we went from no one really knowing who the band was to suddenly, at least the song had become like a household uh, recognizable, you know, like a household name. Um, you know, we were all over MTV and uh, radio and then up the Billboard charts and suddenly we were playing, you know, on some big tours at the time and, um, you know, obviously playing some bigger headlining slots. Um, so we, we definitely felt, uh, at the time it was a bit of, um, a bit of a whirlwind. We kind of felt like we had, we had arrived, you know, when that, when that song kind of hit the charts. Well, back in those days, radio was still such a big thing. Do you remember the first time you heard yourselves on the radio? I do. You know, I, I remember, uh, and also on MTV, it was kind of like, you know, they, they obviously on our local stations, we had like two or three hard rock stations and our manager at the time said, you know, like WAF added you guys and WBCN is going to be playing you guys. And, um, and then, you know, MTV is going to play your, your uh, video on the headbangers ball. So I remember like being with a bunch of my friends and tuning into MTV and waiting for it like three in the morning to, to you know, felt like, uh, wow, maybe we are going to make it, you know, we get a video on MTV. So, yeah, it was different, uh, different time, you know. Nowadays, you put something out and it's instantly on the internet or being streamed. But back in those days, you kind of had to tune to the radio or watch TV and sit there and wait for it to come on. <laughs> oh, man, it's, it, it is. And, and it's amazing because, like, you know, I talk to people all the time and it's just a different world today than it was back then. Like, people aren't tuning in and, and, you know, like, listening to the radio all the time. They're listening to their iPods or their iPhones or it's and, – and it's hard to think that people can find new music. Like, I feel like – and that's the thing with, like, you know, older bands and people growing up with them is that they can just listen to the same stuff they've always listened to. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, our, our – uh, luckily, we, um, we came from an era where we um, – did have a lot of, uh, you know, kind of grassroots, you know, r real fans that, that kind of stuck with us. It wasn't as as much like flavor of the month kind of thing. They they uh, kind of followed us, you know, listened to entire albums instead of one song here, one song there. They didn't used to just make their own playlist or greatest hits tapes, you know. They would listen to our whole album, and then they'd um, follow our career and buy every album. You know, that's kind of the era I 
grew up in where I'd, you know, every time Van Halen put on an album, I'd be right at the record store to, to buy it. You know, it wasn't like, uh, it wasn't like it is nowadays. Um, so, you know, we were lucky to kind of have, um, you know, developed our career uh, in in an era that you and I, you know, are, are more familiar with. It's not like the, the new times, you know. No, I kind of like the old era better myself, too, so. <laughs> For sure. So, after you guys can finally afford more than just burgers and fries minus the soda, as Nuno had mentioned in the Extreme documentary, what was the first frivolous thing you guys, what that you treated yourself to? The first frivolous thing? Yeah. Um, well, I remember, like, you know, I, I wouldn't quite call it frivolous, but um, I do remember buying my first kick-ass stereo. <laughs> <laughs> I feel yeah. like that's a tax write-off for a musician. <laughs> yeah, so maybe that isn't so frivolous. I mean, I did buy uh, an old 66 Mustang. Oh, kind of wish I, I wish I still had it, but I, uh, <laughs> I sold it somewhere along the line like an idiot. But um, that was a little bit of a, a, my a first big chunk of rock star money. I went toward a, toward an old classic Mustang. See, that's more along the lines of what I would expect more than the stereo. <laughs> that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> so the birth of Extreme was pretty volatile. Can you talk a little bit about the beginning years and how long did it take for the dust to settle for you guys to know that, all right, this is now the band? Um, you mean as far, which part is volatile, did you say? Well, I mean, it seemed like in watching a documentary and stuff and reading up on you guys, um, just like how the band came together. Like, it was kind of like, you know, I know Nuno left his band. You came in, like, after the Halloween concert and stuff like that. And yeah, it was kind of like, you know, it's kind of like everybody was in all different places. And it kind of, like, came together. And then it seemed like a year after the Halloween show, before that, your guys' lineup was actually solidified. Um, did it feel like it took a full year? Or did it take a little bit longer than that for you guys to You know, feel? I think... Um... You know, we, um, Paul and Gary, you know, after, like you said, if you watch the documentary, um, Paul and Gary had had a band um, called The Dream, which then they changed the name to Extreme. Um, and Nuno and I used to play in bands around the Boston scene, um, you know, opening up for those guys. So they were kind of developing, you know, they kind of had a, a name for themselves locally. Um, I think when... Uh, you know, I went to one of Nuno's first shows at, at uh, you know, when he joined Extreme, and that's when I knew something special was happening with these guys. You know, the chemistry was obvious. Um, and then, like I said, I was friends with all of those guys, ended up, uh, you know, joining about a year later. And I think when, um, you know, I think between the four of us and the commitment and, you know, I think at that time also... Um, uh, you know, there was a chemistry between all of us, you know, vocally and also, you know, musically, the way we played together. Um, it was pretty quick where I thought, you know, wow, you know, and they, they would say, man, when you joined, it was kind of like the missing link or the missing piece. And again, that's, you know, I'm not uh, tooting my own horn, but this is what people told me, you know. So um, uh, I, I felt like, you know, all the pieces were in place um, and our chemistry was right 
to, for us to, to, you know, go the next, take it to the next level and do what we ended up, you know, eventually doing. And you guys did so indeed. Um, all right, I'm going to date myself a little bit here. Uh, <laughs> the very first time I saw you guys was at Stony Brook College on Long Island. Soon after, you would be doing the Queen tribute. Um, how do you prep differently for these two very different sized crowds, or is there like a routine in place for you guys? You know, I think you always prepare for shows the same way, whether it's like a club or a stadium. Um, as far as you know, <clears throat> you know, either physically or or uh, you know, rehearsing or whatever. You know, I guess the the Queen thing was was a bit different because. We obviously were playing all Queen music and none of our own. <clears throat> so we did spend quite a bit of time putting that medley together. And the whole idea really came from, um, if you have the, the Queen album or listen to Queen Live Killers, um, they kind of do a medley or short bits of a bunch of songs uh, to open that whole album. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of took that idea and, and you know made our own medley, um, obviously rehearsing you know, we, we grew up listening to that shit, so it was like, it it wasn't much to learn the Queen stuff as it was to really rehearse it and pull it off and all the transitions, you know, we spent some time rehearsing to, to prepare for that show. Um, but as far as all the other stuff, you know, what, uh, you know, there's no much different prepping for, uh, you know, a club or a, a theater or an arena or a stadium, you know, you just kind of, you know do your thing which do you prefer do you prefer more smaller shows or the stadium shows um you know there's something to be said for both i mean it's uh it's it's fun playing some smaller shows because you have way more um you know you have way more connection to the audience and the people in the in the front few rows you know facial expressions and and you know you can really feed off that energy sometimes when you're in a stadium there's, you know, the, there's the pit and there's all the photographers and then, you know, the first row of people behind the barricades isn't for like 20 or 30 feet away. So you don't have as much, um, uh, you know, you don't really have as much connection to the to the crowd. But then again, when, you know, you have a whole crowd of 80,000 people singing a song or waving their hands together, it's also an incredible experience that you don't sometimes get in the smaller venues, so. Um, they're, you know, they're both a lot of fun. <laughs> that has got to be amazing from your perspective to see something like that. Every time we go to a concert, I always look out and I'm, I'm just amazed. It's almost like a cult, which I'm sure Gary would appreciate. He's very, very into the cult religion type things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it is amazing. You know, some of, especially like some of those bigger crowds, I still get chills when I, watch uh, the Freddie Mercury tribute and um, we do that Queen tune <clears throat> um, Radio Gaga and the whole crowd's like doing the clap together I'll never forget being on stage and I still get like you know chills watching the, the crowd do that it is absolutely amazing um, I think it would be fair to say that a lot of people who may not know Extreme very well would most likely associate the band to Modern Words what song in your catalog would you want future fans to associate you with, if not that one? Um, you know, it's hard to really pinpoint one song when you listen to, uh, or when you try to um, put a label on Extreme. 
So, um, you know, I, I think if uh, if you were to, you know, as you know, you're, you're familiar with our catalog. So each song is, you know, there's so many different styles of music, and each song is so unique. Um, I guess if if I had to pick one that was more the rock side of things, it would probably be Get the Funk Out. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, something with uh, a little more of that, you know, obviously Nuno's guitar uh, prowess and um, has kind of a cool, you know, uh, you know, kind of a cool groove to it. So, but yeah. other than that, you know, I don't know. Uh, you know, there's some other favorites that come to mind. Like, am I ever going to change? Has a uh, a lot, a lot of cool stuff going on. That's awesome. And out of the albums that you guys have done, would you? And I know we're promoting, of course, porno graffiti. Twenty five years. Is there one that stands out for you? On porn graffiti? Oh no, just in general. Like out of all your albums in your catalog, would you know? Would you say porno graffiti is the pinnacle for you, or is there an album that you feel that you like better than that one? Um, you know, I have uh, <clears throat> some personal favorites along the way, uh, and um, you know, we recently just did a tour in Japan. Of um, you know, we did as an encore. We did the third side of three sides. Okay. Um. Where, you know, there's like a 70-piece orchestra that, uh, you know, and it's it's kind of a trilogy, um, you know, it's like a, a three-song uh, suite of music with the, the orchestra, and I think that has, definitely has some special moments that none of our other catalog had, and there's a lot of depth to it. So that one, uh, you know, I'm very proud of that whole third side, and it was a lot of fun to play that live recently. That's awesome. That that seriously is one of my favorite all times albums. The concept of the three sides is amazing. Um, <clears throat> wow, thanks, man. Thank you. How does the collaboration differ these days compared to earlier in your career? You know, earlier in the career, um, we had um, Nuno brought most of the music in. You know, we all would. Um, work on arrangements together and work on our own individual parts and stuff. But, um, he was so quick with stuff and, you know, it was in the days before pro tools and stuff. He would just like sit with a four track or an eight track recorder and, um, you know, lock himself away in his hotel room on tour or whatever. And, and he was just so prolific with, with, uh, writing. Um, and so quick that, uh, you know, a lot of those songs, he had already demoed up, um, and you know I think as the, as time went on, you know on the last record we all got in a rehearsal room together and we're jamming on riffs and that kind of thing. So um, nowadays, because the band lives on two different coasts, you know he lives out in L.A. and we live in Boston, um, we have to like book time together to really start working on new stuff and. Um, it's not like the old days where we just get together three or four times a week in a rehearsal room, you know, it's like, you know, now it's like a week here, a week there, you know, throughout the year. So that's kind of changed things a bit. Um, things seem to take longer these days for us, but, um, you know, we're all, you know, um, we all contribute, bring ideas in and, uh, you know, it's been a little bit different nowadays. Well, I mean, it's. I'm sure it's going to work either way. So, staying with that same line of questioning, rumor has it you guys are work are in the process of working on a bunch of new songs for an extreme album to be to be released in 2017. 
Is that still a go? And if so, can we expect an extended extreme tour here in the States? Well, that's definitely on our agenda is making new music. <clears throat> you know, there is a bunch of songs that <clears throat> we've all been uh, throwing into the hat, you know, and, and collaborating on stuff. And, um, you know, there's actually a, a lot of songs, so it's going to be more now, you know, we have to kind of weed through them and, and see what uh, what's the strongest stuff, you know, which cream will rise to the top and, <clears throat> you know, then go in and record it for real. So, um you know, as far as timeline, it's hard to really predict when it's going to be ready, you know. Okay. Um, but there is going to be something on the on the horizon, and we're definitely going to be booking some shows in the U.S. and in Europe and stuff, uh, you know, around the release, um, you know. Whether, whether it's early in the year or later, we're still going to be, like, booking some stuff and getting out and playing. Good. I can't wait to see you guys live again. Is there one extreme lyric or song that you can think of that would sum up the journey of the band to this point? Huh. <laughs> Is there one lyric or one song? You know, it's really tough to, to say, you know. I mean, the band um, um, has been through, you know, so much together and... and you know, so much time now has passed. It's hard to believe that you know we we've been together for this long, um, coming up on like thirty years. So <laughs> I don't know if there's any lyric or anything that Gary's really written, <laughs> you know, lyrically that kind of could even begin to scratch the surface of everything we've done together. You know, and, and how time has has gone by. All right, that's fair enough. <laughs> so I understand that after a while. Um, you became an alpaca farmer. Are you still involved with alpacas? <laughs> it's funny how this comes up. <laughs> <clears throat> you know, I do have a few alpacas as more like, you know, pasture pets. I have a small farm and we have a horse as well. <clears throat> um, I, there was a time when Extreme was on our long hiatus um, that I did have a, a working farm and I had you know, maybe 30 alpacas. And there was a time I was breeding them and showing them and, you know, bringing them to auctions. And it was uh, something that I really sunk my teeth into when I had a lot more time. But obviously as time has gone on, um, you know, I've been back to my passion of music, um, working on some solo stuff as well outside of Extreme. And the alpacas have kind of become... Uh, something in the rear view mirror although i still like i said i have a few and it's fun to have some animals around but it's not like a as a serious business as it was for a while for me well i'm glad you're back on base not that i mind the alpacas i would love to see more pictures of you at alpacas i think that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> oh pat you were an awesome interview thank you so much for doing this for us all right thank you And that was it. Pat Badger. That was an awesome interview. Like I'm kind I'm very miffed because as as an 80s, you know, 90s music lover, like I really wanted to talk to him. Okay, but let me ask you a question. You said our experiences with Extreme is mm -hmm. different. From the beginning, <laughs> 
knowing how I feel about extreme in general. Like of this course. isn't this really isn't like, oh, we got to interview a band. Now I respect them so much more because the guy was cool, which does happen because sometimes you're sure, like, oh, yeah. well, I respect him. The guy was awesome. Yeah. But this wasn't the case because even if I wouldn't have talked to Pat Badger from Extreme, you still I would have been, still been an, yeah, an Extreme course. fan. Huge. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, from the get go of our relationship, when we would like, because one of the first, like one of the first talks that like we had was just like, what kind of music you in? Because music is very important to me and it, I know it's important to you. So it's like, that's like a thing where you like try to find like the common ground music. And you were like extreme and how you think that Nuno Betancourt is like the greatest guitarist to ever live. <clears throat> he's up there. He's up there. Yeah. I, yeah. He's like one of the greatest guitarists. And like you have always, always professed your love of extreme. And I'm like, because we have, you know, an eight year difference in age, my introduction to extreme, you were fans. You were a fan of extreme well before more than words came out, which is when people in my, you know, decade, like usually would generally associate with them because I remember listening to it as a Catholic schoolgirl on an a on a battery run little transistor radio and my friends and I sat underneath the basketball hoop and we all just sang more than words to show you how you know have you ever dissected the words of that song no, I haven't because it was just really pretty the way that Gary. Sings it is that song. really dark. It's really pretty. It I is know. I know. Really, really dark. And I and I feel like just this week I saw some political campaign use more than words. Really? Was yeah. it Donald Trump? No, 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 no. It was. It really could have fit better for him <laughs> than it did for whoever else did it. But somebody did it, and I feel like maybe it was like. Maybe it was like for a governor or something like that. Like it wasn't part of the presidential election. And when they used it, I was just like. Ooh, I wonder if somebody listened to the words. You know what it was like? It was like Michael and maybe singing Afternoon Delight. <laughs> <laughs> and like halfway through, they're looking around On like, development, oh, this is a little bit weird. <laughs> but see, breaking down more than words, man, it's a dark, dark song. Well, then that's really weird to use for a political campaign. I think a lot of the times political pan campaigns only listen to the title of the song. And they're like, <laughs> sounds good. Let's roll with it. Afternoon delight. <laughs> sounds like everybody's having a good time. Rim it up. <laughs> now, you watched the documentary. Yes. You know, what were some of, like, what was the most surprising thing that you as a fan learned about the band from the documentary? Mm, well, um, let's see. In 100 words or less. In 100 words or less. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it, there really seemed to be kind of like a very chaotic beginning to the band. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, I hope everybody goes out and gets to see the documentary no matter what. It was awesome because even if you're not a fan of it, you'll at least know some of the songs for sure. Mm -hmm. And like songs that will last forever like they'll like they'll always be hits you'll always hear them and they'll always be hits you know even like i equally loved get the funk out well that's what i was going to say there are certain songs in time that you can listen to like whenever they come up and you could be like oh and goddamn like what happened to this band or what happened to this song and you're like oh and the fact that they're still doing stuff is is amazing and like get the funk out it was such a great song. It's definitely one of those songs. Like it had like the horns and it was just like and I and as you of all people know, I have a very funky music taste side. 
it's the same thing, yeah. but that song covers just so many different mm-hmm. genres of music. The way it, it's put to composed, right, yeah. I mean, it's it's absolutely composed amazingly. I mean, Brian May brought it up in the documentary a few times. You know, just Brian May, just some no guy deal. named Brian some May, dude. <laughs> so I mean, it it is just so well put together, and. You know, it's one of those songs, you're driving down the road and you're falling asleep. That song comes on, you're ready to go another 100 miles. That's just (laughs) the way it is because I've been there. This is like my experiences with this band. You're ready to go another Seriously, that's what it is. Jesus Christ, you live in Pennsylvania. You're not going anywhere less than 100 miles. Just to get to Walmart and back is 100 miles if you're living in the woods. That's that's right. You're Mm. right. Because you know everything you've. Hillbilly I'm sorry I didn't live in the big city of the of of Farmville. <laughs> My God, where did that come from? It's not gonna stop if you don't stop. So anyway, anyway, what I learned was that at the time it winds up being that like Gary has a band, he drops his two guitarists for Nuno. Next thing you know, like Pat somehow gets involved because from meeting Nuno around and stuff like that, the band starts to form. They have an original drummer. Now, like, the new drummer comes in, like, a couple of years later. That sort of turmoil stuff, man, it usually never gets past that point. Usually the point is, you know, a band gets together. They stick together until somebody has some kind of drug problem or somebody spends all the money or the manager screws them over. And then that's it. The end of story. This band had a story before it started their story. Mm-hmm. I feel like that to me was probably the most surprising thing. The fact that they were able to make it through like just very like sharp transitions and then take off from that point. Right. And still, you know, be playing together and not just that, but actually like enjoy being with it sounds like you know they see each other every couple of weeks they they stay in contact with each other and yeah. you know i think that's really cool and i think it's really interesting to know that like you know three of the members like still live in boston yeah especially because i mean you know you got the extreme money you go wherever you want to go yeah, like i mean like you just assume <laughs> like you know you're a rock star like you're gonna go to like la or something like that and like i think that's really cool that they they stay on the east coast and do the east coast proud yeah east coast for right. life that's right <laughs> east coast dirty just keeping it real the <laughs> funk sound will just keep on coming as long as they stay here i think that's really cool and i think it was a really really great interview and i'm very color me jealous oh don't be jealous, because hopefully, um, you know, we can do some more stuff with Pat down the road, and uh, maybe you get a shot. Maybe. We'll maybe see. Maybe you get a shot. We'll see. We'll see what we can do for you. Well, let's get into <laughs> a roly-poly rorty, then. Well, look at that. We're right into the next segment. Roly-poly rorty. Roly-poly rorty. How is this week for you as far as Tom's weight loss? <laughs> <laughs> you have been talking about food so much. It is just like every time you open your mouth, it's like you're talking about food. And it's like, oh my God, like I'm trying to like make you not do that because I know that like you got, you were getting real rammy 
this week because you were a week away from having like I would say real food but like you're 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 graduating like a Gerber baby it's real food to food that like you're going to be able to mash now instead of just being on you know the liquid diet that you were before surgery and then the thin liquid diet Mm -mm. that you were after surgery now you're graduating to mushy food and it is heaven so You're going to be far. a mush mouth. <laughs> it is heaven so far. But I got to say, um, I have got to learn what a portion is for a person who's been through a gastric sleeve surgery. Because I am not there with the learning curve yet, as you far as that goes. You were an eager beaver, I heard today. Uh, yes. Today was the very first day of the soft foods. And I woke up this morning, and the first thing I did after peeing, of course, and washing my hands, because I know that's a, it's such an issue with you, is... Why would... <laughs> wait, wait, wait a minute. Excuse me? Why wouldn't washing... Like, why wouldn't you wash your hands I would after wash you go my to the hands. bathroom? I would like, wash disgusting. my hands. But for you, it's such an obsessive thing where it's like... It going, is an obsessive thing. I might have the water on low washing my hands, and then you will be I in the do. other room, I, and you'll I, be like, oh, I didn't hear the water. And it'll I, be like, oh, well, I you did. shouldn't be listening for shit that's going on that. in the bathroom when I'm in there. <laughs> the it's end. not that I listen. It's just that, like, you can hear when the water turns on. Well... And you have a tick. You have a nervous tick. You're rubbing... You're, you know, bouncing your leg up and down. I have OCD when it comes to washing my hands. It's Move not on, washing Roly your hands. It's not washing your hands is the problem as much as it is listening to what's happening behind the bathroom door yeah, when somebody else is in there. there. I'm taking notes of how many like I, I seriously I, hear. I wonder sometimes because I feel like every time I'm in the bathroom you're in a closet <laughs> or you're just roaming around like in the hallway and then sometimes you'll stand on the other side and you'll be like I'm outside the door. <laughs> and I'm like, I do creep off. I do and I'm like why? Why? Why would you be outside? Like it makes no sense. And I'm and usually my response is so. <laughs> That's the only thing I come up with because I'm like I don't know what's wrong with you right now. And if you were to talk to me while I was in the I was in the bathroom, I'd be like, leave me alone. I'm in the bathroom. <laughs> I need my private time. <laughs> so anyway, so as soon as I was done washing my hands, I should be happy to hear. <laughs> the one that brought it up. So fuck off. I made a scrambled egg. With um, onions and peppers, which onions is something that I have not been able to have for freaking years. I hate this phase. I hate it. And now I can have an onion with peppers. I hate onions. And they don't hurt me. So I had that. I made two eggs. Eggs. Boiled it in the living room. Took a picture of it because I was so proud that I was able to make eggs with, you know, no butter. This is weird. And... Sat down, had four bites of it, and was like, if I have one more bite, I'm probably going to get sick because I ate way too much already. That's ridiculous. It was insane the little bit amount of food that I can have. But the satisfaction from being able to actually chew something. Right. I can imagine. And just the mindset. Like the rest of the day, I felt like... It was like me running up and down the side of the hill like the sound of music. That's how I felt today after eating four bites of an egg because there wasn't somebody saying, you can't eat that. It's on a paper because that's not a rule anymore. Well, look at you breaking all the rules that aren't there anymore. It's there for some stuff. Now, I'm excited for, you know, the dessert that we have planned. I'm really excited about that. What is the dessert that. for tonight? The dessert is like this like bariatric friendly pumpkin pie 
mm-hmm. which has you know pumpkin pie ca- like canned pumpkin in it it has pumpkin mm-hmm. pie spice it has sugar-free fat-free vanilla pudding mm-hmm. with skim milk and fat-free cool whip who the hell would have even looked I can't even believe the fat-free cool whip in some grocery store I used to buy fat-free cool whip because I liked it. It's unfreaking believable. Yeah, I can't believe that like you're thing. going from like zero to sixty like that. Like that's just strange to me that you can go from zero to having pudding and pumpkin and things like that. Like that's just very very strange. Yeah, for dinner tonight I had refried beans with taco sauce and melted cheese. I'm not gonna lie, it looked amazing. It was mind blowing, but. <laughs> 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 but here's the thing with it though. You can you're you can have it, but I feel like they give you this list to experiment with to see like is it something you're going to be able to hold down? Right. And no matter what you have, like I said literally you saw the size yeah, of it. It, it was, was just literally little... 4 tablespoons full of food. Yeah. And I cut out probably like a half a cup's worth. And like I honestly would have eaten that whole little tray. Because yeah, that's gonna last me for probably Days. the rest of the week. Yeah, with with the you know noodleless lasagna. And I'm very I jealous about it because like I am I am like trying to be good. I'm trying so hard and I'm doing okay. Like you know because especially you definitely are. You lost weight. Yeah, I lost like five pounds through this whole thing. It's not the forty pounds that Tom has lost, which I did. You did lose forty pounds as of yesterday. But five pounds is still awesome. Think of what would you have done if if you wouldn't have been trying at all? You would have gained. You wouldn't have lost. Probably. So or instead of going up, you yeah. went down. So yeah, either I way, know, it's, but it's still. Just like, we're so competitive when it comes to things like this. And I hate that you have such a big jump start. Listen, man. I'm not going to lie. If it wasn't for surgery, there would have been no jump start. I know. And again. And I know that it wasn't because you did it for cosmetic reasons. Like you did it for health and like that. But still, like we are very competitive with each other. Well, I'll tell you, I still don't know if I would condone the surgery. Right. But if it came down to it and I, I, and honestly, if it came down to it where there was something with your health where you had a health issue and you were like, should I do it? The answer would be. Definitely yes, because no matter what the pain is, it's gonna go away. Right, and like, and then you could live longer. So, there's it's it's a no brainer to even think about right. it. Right. So to close out this week's Roly Poly Rorty, so we can get to that goddamn pumpkin pie. <laughs> <laughs> Would you? So has the has the remembrance of pain. Because, like, in the beginning, you were like, I would not recommend this. The pain is ridiculous. You know, it's like, if they told me this, I might not have done it. Has that remembrance of pain lessened as you find yourself losing 40 pounds in two, you know, in the in the month that, you know, you started the liquid diet two weeks post pre-op? You know, has that gone down? Has that changed? Are you like, yeah, I'm kind of forgetting the pain as I'm seeing the direct result of what I went through? I can understand how people can forget the pain. Like, mm-hmm. like because, I mean... Like 18 months out, like when the maintenance period begins. I mean, even to this point now, like I'm on a couple of bariatric groups like online mm-hmm. and, you know, people come out of the hospital and they'll be like going, oh my God, already I lost, you know, 12 pounds, I lost 15 pounds, right. I feel great because, you know, this is it. And they don't mention the pain. I don't think you can honestly go through that surgery and 
you know, keep the fact that there's pain involved right. to yourself. Like, and if you are, you're doing a disservice to the people that you're explaining that you're, it to. Right, that you're supposed to be supporting and, you know, being a source of strength for. Right. Now, I don't want to scare anybody and say, oh, my God, because, again, if it's between life and operation, right. go definitely 100% get the operation sure. because you got nothing to lose at that point in time, right. which is why I was looking at it. But, you know... I don't think that you can ever forget the pain. Like, I think that you can kind of bury it a little bit. Mm -hmm. But already I'm thinking, when this is all over, there's a second operation, which is for, like, excess skin that mm -hmm. they say is covered and stuff. And they say usually in 18 months is when you get that operation. I'm already starting to think, like, I'm going to do whatever I can to not have to go through that operation. And right. if I do, I'm going to make it so that it's the smallest area possible right. that they got to work on. And that means doing weights when it's safe and walking as much as possible. Right. Right. Okay. So, but I mean, I, I, I really don't think you can honestly forget the pain. Okay. Well, until next time with Rolly Bully Rarity. That's right. Um. Holy cow, that seemed like a fast show, right? It did. It Pat did. Badger took up the whole thing, man. I know, and you are <laughs> loving it. Look at you. You're just I'm like, still loving it. You're glowing. I am still <laughs> loving it. And I mean, you know, he was he was a great interview. And uh it actually ties into this week's Did You Know? I didn't know that. You had no idea. I, I just no came idea. up and blindsided you with you it. You did blindside, monster. Let's get to it. All right. Now, right into a did you know. Did you know? Did you know? Aside from Extreme, there have been quite a few bands out of the Massachusetts area. Just another band out of Boston. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That wasn't even totally on or anything it really wasn't but the weird thing is <laughs> i feel welcome. like that was just a, a sarcastic question because i feel like a lot of bands have come out of but i felt like a lot more bands came out when i was researching it i was like man i feel like a lot more bands than this list came out so according to ranker mm -hmm. which you know is a website ranker.com um they ranked the top 10 Massachusetts bands. Mm -hmm. So what I got here in front of me is that list, which starts at number one. It works to number 10. Thank and you. everybody can guess what number one is probably if you know anything about the Boston music scene. Or if you know anything about, yeah. Right. Aerosmith, I'm assuming. Absolutely. <laughs> Aerosmith is one. Mm -hmm. Boston is number two. See, Aerosmith, I will respect. I will respect the band that they are. I mean, what they are right now, whatever. But I think Boston is a much better band, in All my right. personal opinion. The Pixies is number three. Oh, God, do I hate the Pixies. No, you can't hate the Pixies. I do well, at least that one song. I, mean, I never you know. knew that they were from Boston, to be yep. honest. Godsmack is four. <laughs> Get ready for this. The Cars is number five. The Cars are from Boston? That's what I said, too. I thought for sure they were from here in New York. I honestly thought that they were in New York. Because they were, I swear, in college, I used to walk around in the West Village. I used to see Rick Ocasek all the time in the West Village. Well, if that isn't an indicator, then I don't know what well, is. Well, it's just weird just to know, like, that's what I associate him with is from seeing him around. And now all of a sudden, it's like, you're telling me this guy's from Boston? I never knew that they were from Boston. Well, you did know that New Kids on the Block oh, were from Boston. Oh, my God. 
So that would be number six. I did know that they were from Boston. Dropkick Murphys as number seven. Okay. Here's a weird one for number eight. Give it to me. The Breeders. They're from Boston? They're in the top ten of somebody's <laughs> list. Are you fucking kidding? They had one song. One song, but it was such a good song. Sure it was. <laughs> Bobby Brown is number nine. <laughs> now look, man, I'm not a fan of that music, so it's hard for me to say he should be taken out of the list, but I know he's a big name. Dude. Maybe for beating up his wife or whatever. And, and having her pull something out of his butt on their TV show. Maybe. But I will say that because I am from like that age group that, you know, he was a big deal and my prerogative. I was going to say it was your prerogative to think oh whatever you want of him. <laughs> I loved, I, I loved Bobby Brown. In fact, he was like my first like hip hop tape, I think, that I bought. Ooh, good Lord. Mine was Sugar Hill. Well, You're that welcome. is pretty awesome. Welcome to New York. You're welcome for being older than I am. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, you're welcome for being older than I am. And finally, number 10, the Dresden Dolls. Really? That's it. That's their top 10 list. And I was like... No extreme. And this is what aggravated the shit out of me because I was like, you this is awful. You have the Pixies, awful. but no extra. I fucking hate the Pixies. Like, all right. Even if you look at, like, the Breeders, one song. You look at, like, Extreme and you're like, guaranteed everybody knows more than words. Everybody knows Get the Funk Out. That's two. Automatically, that brings them to number five on this list. This this bullshit list that Ranker made up. Um, <laughs> they did break the top 25. But to me, I feel like the fact that they didn't break the top 10 is an absolute crime. I I agree. I totally agree with that because I just think that the longevity, based on the fact that, like, you know, they had some really, really good songs. And, like, in fact, I remember, I just, like, in my head, the decadence dance just came in my mind. And I (laughs) loved that song. They had a ton of good songs. So you can't say... Nuno playing, like... You know, Flight of the Bumblebee was ridiculous. And they have that in the video, too. Yeah, and that's, that's yeah, that's definitely on Mind-blowing. Mind-blowing to see anybody play that fast. That's ridiculous. And, I mean, like, I totally get that, like, you know, the n- New Kids on the Block or NKOTB. I get that, too. Because they were the pop, first big, big boy band. Big pops tour. But just I, boy band. Right. Yeah, like, I get it. I get it. Can I? I was agreeing with you. I know, but you were like... I get it. Okay. <laughs> no, okay, no. Okay, Mario, thank you. <laughs> Moving right along. No, but I get I get new kids on the block. Like I like out of all of those bands, I get new kids on the block. I get Aerosmith. And Boston, don't forget Boston. I mean, Jesus Christ is named after the biggest city in the state. That doesn't mean that they're like <laughs> one of the top bands in the place. But I mean, I'm sorry, I, but they, they are good. They to are be good. In the top five. They are good, and probably the Cars is up there too. The yeah, Cars definitely. had a lot of hits, especially during the MTV era. Yeah, oh my god, yeah. Like, nobody's... De- I mean, like, they're definitely top five. Like, Aerosmith, Boston, um, The Cars. I mean, and I would put... I would definitely put Extreme, if not in the top five, in the top ten. Because, like, I just think that that's ridiculous. Yeah, I would say New Click Kids on the Block and Extreme sure. would, like, round out the top yeah, five, for, for sure. sure. Easily. But top 25, and it was like, you've got to be freaking kidding that's me. That's bullshit. Like, I'm very interested to hear, like, who, I would be very interested to see, like, who the other bands were, because I... I refused to list them. 
I refuse <laughs> well, to even mouth their names because they do not belong in the same company as Extreme does. Well, then. Half the half the bands I just mentioned don't belong on the same list as Extreme. No, you're, you're right with that. And I mean, and I do love, you know, I loved that Breeders. I loved Cannonball. But I'm not saying I loved the Breeders. I'm saying I loved Cannonball. Well, yeah, that was the only song you could love because yeah. it was the only song they ever released, I think. Yeah, I mean, and if they even if they didn't, like, they did, you know, they had other stuff. But, like, I never thought, I thought they were, like, a Midwestern band. No, to they be were Boston. Well, I didn't know that. So I would say for me that Extreme would by far be my number one. And just so that you know, at no point since I've heard them live in 1991, because I looked it up today at Stony Brook College on Long Island, have I ever owned a CD player, iPod, or iPhone that I did not have Extreme be a part of? That is really cool. <laughs> like, I think that's really, really cool. It's a true fact. And the weirdest thing was, I wasn't even an Extreme fan before I saw them. I, I I got invited to go to this concert at a college. I went and could not believe that these four guys can sound like that on a stage. Like they filled an entire room with sound because just the talent that came out of them. Blown away. And I remember coming back that night after the show and thinking like, God damn, man, I love this band. And since that day... Anything they put Fan. out, anything I went and got. It was like the same thing Pat was saying. The people who would line up when they would hear mm-hmm. like their favorite bands were putting something out. That was me with them. Well, then that's, I think that's really cool. So I think the biggest thing that we learned from Did You Know is that Did You Know that Tom is an extreme, extreme fan. It's true. Did you know? And that does it for our show. That does it, man. What another chock-a-block show. <laughs> and, I mean, listen, man, it was awesome. It was it was great, great, great to talk to Pat. And like I said, hopefully we get to do a couple of more things with him in the future and stuff like that. Um, and God, let's all pray for an extreme tour so <laughs> we can all check him out live. But until that happens... I definitely, I think that they're going to do something for sure because it sounds like they want to. So, I mean, yeah, the bands, if everybody's on board to do it, there's nothing that's going to stop them because that's what they're in a good place now. And seeing like the most recent stuff from, you know, the porno graffiti 25th anniversary Mm -hmm. DVD. Which I mean, you can find on our website right yep, now. We'll put links we're gonna to put it. The, um, we're going to actually, uh, we have the okay to post online. So we're going to post the trailer online. So you can definitely see that in this week's show description. Yeah. And man, it was done so, so well. Yeah. And totally check it out. I mean, even if you know like one song, after you listen to it, you'll be like, what a freaking great show. If you're show. a music fan, watch it. Please because, do. Yeah. So Please thanks do. again, Pat. We really appreciate you speaking to the High Regard Show. And. Tom, congratulations on 40 pounds lost. Here's to the next 40. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. 
I'm going to, like, probably put one back on eating, like, four spoonfuls of that pumpkin pie tonight, <laughs> but oh, whatever. Well, stop talking so we can get to it. All right. So if you want to learn more about The High Regard Show, check us out at highregardshow.com. I know a lot of you have been checking it out, especially to see little Tyler Durden's photos. Yes. We started a new segment online called Clickbait, and you can go there every Wednesday and see the world through little Tyler Durden's eyes. Well, yeah. or her lens. Or through her lens, yeah. But, I mean, holy crap, man. She's been uh, she's been getting some huge numbers yeah, like she, on the we, site. People are really banging that segment big time online. Indeed. Easy Don't now. just stop Whatever. talking. All right. That was creepy. <laughs> <laughs> so check out the website. And if you want to, like, send us any email about, like, Tom's inappropriate comments about his Donald his daughter. Trump-esque <laughs> comments about his daughter. You can send those emails to highregardshow at gmail.com. And you can also follow the fun on social media by finding at highregardshow. And that does it. Peace out, Cub Scouts. Good night, everybody. (laughs) 